Hello, this is Dr. Harriet Fry, bringing you Capitalism Hits Home, a podcast about the mutual shaping of our personal lives with our political, economic, social lives. We really can't separate them. Disciplines are separated, but it doesn't make sense. At any rate, this podcast is brought to you by Democracy at Work, an organization of small donors that give you the information you won't get elsewhere. It's available at www.democracyatwork. We would like you to join us to be part of our email list so you can get news about what's coming in podcasts and everything else, so you can get messages, so you can be introduced to our merchandise, which is always changing, and so that you can be part of our effort and your effort to make America a better place. Today, I want to talk about what I talked about last time. I want to extend it, which is that the American empire is going down. Empires rise and fall. They don't only rise and stay the same, and that's been so of the Roman Empire and the British Empire, and it's now true of the United States. We're not the only exception. And I'm talking about that because I think that's a crisis that envelops America right now. And people deny it, as the government certainly does. They dissociate from it. They project the problems it causes onto other things, on the evil other, which has nothing to do with us, of course, because that's what you do when you project. You deny your own participation in the problems that you solve. And so I'd like to continue with the signs that American empire, the American empire, is falling. Because first we have to face that it's falling, and then find alternatives, ways ways that we can deal with that that are healthy for our country. The French Empire has folded. They're doing fine. The same with the German Empire. People can find a way. At any rate, here I go. One indication that I didn't mention before of the American Empire flagging is that the American dollar is weaker rather than the strong, overwhelmingly stronger than the other currencies that it used it used to totally dominate the world, and now it has a competitor in the renminbi and the and the Chinese yuan, both Chinese currencies. In the United States, you used to get between five and seven francs for a dollar, and the franc was the French equivalent. How they use the euro. I I know that because when I went to Europe in the mid-60s, mid to late 60s, me and my husband could stay in amazing hotels, gorgeous places, and eat out at fancy restaurants because our dollar was worth five to seven times more than it was at home. So that we, with our dollars, we could do amazingly well. No more. Now, the American dollar is approximately equal to the French euro, the European euro currency, not five to seven times greater, but the same. Fluctuates, but it's about the same. 
when we went, when I went to Europe in the late 60s and the early 70s, until, really until fairly recently, American tourists were everywhere. Now, it's the Chinese tourists that that are dominant. Now the signs in elegant shops are in Chinese. Now elegant stores have Chinese salespeople to talk to the Chinese immigrants that are there. In addition, the United States was the only one that could have a currency that was for everyone because we were the solid one. We were the one whose currency you could count on. That's no longer true. China is promoting its national currency in the world so that people are saving and making trades in the Chinese Yuan and the Renminbi. If you look at population, most of the people in the world are leaving the dollar exclusively. Because if you count up the people in an alliance that is oppositional to NATO or different from NATO, an alliance of mutual support, they're the BRICS nations. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Together they make up quite a bit more than the world's population as a whole. We're no longer the strongest richest, uncontested nation. In addition, as signs of the empire's collapse, the United States has lost every war effort we've had since World War II. In Korea, there was a draw. We divided the country between North and South Korea. Vietnam, we invaded and lost. Iraq, we invaded and lost. Afghanistan, we invaded and lost, and we lost even though those are small, poor countries, even without an air force. So what's happening here that we're losing to countries without even an air force? Small, defenseless countries in many ways, but they could defend themselves against us. In addition people from other countries looking at the disaster of the United States Senate and House debating on whether they should let our debts not be paid. We are the biggest debtor nation in the world. We are no longer the big credit creditor where we everyone else owes us money. We owe the most money in the world. And other countries looking at the debate about whether we should let us just not pay our debts, are scared and looking elsewhere. They're afraid that holding dollars could be a drastically dumb move because the dollars will be worth much, much less than they used to. In addition, because of our proxy war with Russia, the United States is taking all the Russian investments in the United States, they threaten to, and taking them for the U.S. government. And they say that they will use them to rebuild Ukraine after the war. Well, of course, 
The Russians have quite a few U.S. assets as well, and they're threatening to do the same. And other countries that may fear getting on the wrong side of the American government don't want to invest here because they're afraid that their investments will be taken away as well. But our country is not used to looking at the consequences of our actions, that we aren't the bully that can get away with it. We can't necessarily get away with it. There are now contestants to our dominance. Power is shifting away. BRICS is a group of mutual support nations, as I said, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But there are 12 other nations that want to join that support network. That's quite a dramatic thing. There are five new ones in the pipeline. One of them is Argentina, the second big South American countries to join BRICS. Others are Algeria, Indonesia, Iran, and Egypt, changing our investment in the Middle East. And that will mean even in South America, which was like an American colony, we will no longer have uncontested dominance. Biden called a conference of all the Latin American countries that were invited, all of South America that was invited. He did not invite Cuba, Venezuela, or Nicaragua, because they're two leftists, to a united South American conference. However, that didn't work too well. He wanted their support economically and around the war in Ukraine. He called it American Partnership for Economic Prosperity, a summit. However, four nations that are usually very closely allied with the United States, Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, protested because they said America has no right to dictate what nations can join an all-South American conference and that it's exercising its imperialist power. And so they did not send their leader. They sent a representative instead. Colombia, which is the second most populous country in South America, after Brazil, didn't send anyone. They have a socialist leader who was recently elected, so he didn't attend at all. So that this all-American all South American conference to support the United States economic agenda and also be on our side in Ukraine wasn't what it used to be. More than half of the African nations that the United States wanted to organize to vote with the U.S. and condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine didn't do that. They abstained. Instead, in part because China's Belt and Road Initiative that builds connections within those countries and builds railroads and connectors and regular highways 
are in alliances with China. They abstained. They didn't want to take a side with the United States. These are signs of America's relative weakness. In addition, there are signs in our own country. Between, between the end of World War II and 1970, America was the most egalitarian nation in the world, the most equal nation. And men, white men, got a family wage which supported dependent women and children. That was the American dream, to have a house, to have a car, to have a marriage. Americans had them if they were white and in families headed by a male. But now we're the least equal of all the developed nations in the world, and Americans are hurting. We have dwindling hopes for the future. What are the signs of that? I don't want to just assert it, but let's look. America has the lowest birth rate that we've had, right there with the birth rate at the Great Depression because people don't feel like this is a country they can bring children into and they don't feel economically secure enough. The biggest increase in types of married couples in the United States are married couples who don't want children. They're too expensive, and it's too much of a burden, and their futures are too shaky, and they don't want the responsibility. Their living standards are going down rather than up. Six out of every ten Americans don't have $500 to spend in case of the worst kind of emergency where they need that. And those are ordinary things like biting into toast and breaking your tooth, a car breakdown, which can cause over $600,000 to fix and which is necessary to get to work often. Or an illness with a big copay or with no insurance. A layoff from a job. What brings to mind is the 10,000 tech workers that were fired in one week from big tech producers. Wow, California. Or a big traffic fine that you can't pay or all the things that can happen, that six out of every ten Americans can't afford help when they most desperately need it. Americans are also dying sooner every year. Our birth rate is going down, and we're dying sooner, and many of those are called deaths of despair. There's a book by Case and Deaton called Deaths of Despair, that covers deaths of people who used, white Americans who used to die before their black counterparts, but now die before them. And the common thing they have is that they no longer believe they have a future. They're often just middle-aged, 40s, 50s, but they're in despair. Their little family grocery is now part of Walmart. Their little hardware store is part of Home Depot. Or also part of Walmart. 
everything they had is part of Walmart. And they are given a choice to work in the most common jobs in the United States, working at Walmart or in call centers or for Amazon or in fast food, which are terrible jobs on the clock where you're beeped by your scanner every time you're not doing a task in the aligned and assigned time. And in Walmart, where you're supposed to wait on customers in part, you cannot sit down, even though there isn't a customer in sight, and you're supposed to stand for eight to ten hours. So they're being assigned to degrading jobs that they hate. All the other indicators of despair are also rising. They're the level of trust between people. These are You can look all these up in the Internet if you have any questions. Their mental illness, including addiction and depression. We've lost 600,000 people to overdoses since 1999, I think it is. That's an awful lot of people. People are taking legal psych drugs because they're so unhappy. 24% of Americans took some kind of prescribed psych med in 2022. That's a 20% increase just since the year before, in 2021. People are in distress. Suicide is going up where people just totally lose hope. In the United States, 12.2 million adults seriously considered suicide. 3.2 million made a plan, and 1.3 million actually attempted suicide. Wow. Things are falling apart. In addition, the corruption that has taken away the New Deal and taken away the checks and balances in our system and allowed our legislatures to be bribed into making unsafe moves to deregulate industries have been responsible just in the last two weeks for huge tragedies. One is the North, Southern Norfolk Railroad, Norfolk Southern it's called, Railroad derailment because when the engineer called in that there was a problem that was dangerous, he was told to proceed. They make more money with the goods keeping on moving. And so a whole community was poisoned. And even here in New York, I talked to an eye doctor about this. More and more people are coming in with eye irritation because of the little particulates from that chemical spill that poisoned the whole town of East Palestine and will probably poison it for generations. But that's, why is that? It's because of the push for profit was far more important to the people at the Norfolk's South Railroad than avoiding destroying people and property in the towns they passed. 
Another thing is that we've seen just recently in the last couple of weeks is the fall of the Silicon Valley Bank and in um, San Jose, California, and the fall of the Signature Bank in, you know, in here in New York. Well, why did these banks fall? Well, they fell because the banks were deregulated because the Dodd-Frank law passed after 2008's disaster of the banks was put in to force banks to hold a certain amount so that even if they didn't get the loans paid that they needed, they could still pay their depositors. Because the way a bank works is you give them your money, you get no money for giving it to them, but it's safer than having it under your mattress. And they invest it, and they're supposed to invest it safely so that they can count on its return. Meanwhile, they're supposed to save a certain amount in case their loans don't come out well, they can still return the depositors' deposits. Well, the Silicon Valley Bank mainly serves Silicon Valley. It has a huge percentage of its members and the people to whom it gives loans are tech startups, which are unstable. And they take in huge deposits. And they lobbied with lobbyists hired from Kevin McCarthy's office, just previously from Kevin McCarthy's office and elsewhere, to persuade the Congress that they are a safe small bank, even though they're one of the 16 largest banks in the United States, and that therefore they shouldn't have to keep so much money to return to depositors. So in the tech turndowns that we've had with all of these layoffs by the big tech companies, they weren't doing well. Their loans weren't doing well. And so they collapsed. Just like the New York Bank, Signature Bank, its loans collapsed. And what the government did was they, and not only that, Federal Deposit Insurance, the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Commission, will guarantee that you can get your deposit back no matter what happens in the bank. And you can get your deposit back as long as it's $250,000 or less. Well, 90% of the deposits at the Silicon Valley Bank were more than 250000 And Biden came in and guaranteed that all the deposits would be covered by the government. Why should we cover deposits of more than $250,000? One of their depositors got his whole 654000 returned with our money, with the government's money. And so now banks really don't have to worry. They can be utterly careless in their quest for more money because the U.S. government, i.e. our tax money, will pay their biggest depositors. They don't have to worry. That's a case of capitalist greed that destroyed those banks and could have destroyed all those people's deposits who didn't have 250000 or more.
Instead, our money, our tax money, is going to all of them, even the richest among them. And the banks have a free ride. They can do this again. And the government will guarantee that their depositors will be paid. Norfolk South Railroad should be facing criminal charges for murder, the man who ordered them to go on, and their whole policy of telling their engineers to ignore safety regulations when they feel like it. That's criminal. It kills people and destroys communities and destroys them over and over again if there's a chemical spill. But the quest for profit was unchecked. America's pride was in its checks and balance system in our Constitution. Unfortunately, they didn't check on money, people buying other people, people buying influence, people hiring ex-governmental employees who knew the workings of these safety regulations to undo them, people bribing their senators and congressmen. That wasn't part of it. And so there isn't the anti-communist message because they don't even need it. There aren't left voices out there saying this is the greed of capitalism gone mad and endangering you. Instead, people are saying we should have regulations. No, we shouldn't just have regulations. They'll be undone within this system of the most unequal country in the world. You buy the legislature. So the regulations are bought out and we are unprotected. This is terribly dangerous for us. And the solution is not just more regulations or the government coming in and giving our tax money, not only to the Ukrainians to fight our proxy war in Russia, and also, of course, to feather their own nests, I should say parenthetically, that in the European French newspaper that I saw, they have pictures of Zelensky's villa in southern Italy for when the whole thing goes belly up and he can relax with our money in southern Italy. We will not control this under capitalism. We need an accountable socialist government. We need to stop buying our government, stop having the best democracy money can buy, and actually have a democracy. One of the reasons that France is ahead of us in terms of democracy is that there is no private money allowed in any election. Also, their unions are left unions, and their rules are that no union head can be paid more than the highest paid member in his, her, or their union. So that you don't have these generations of wealthy bureaucrats out of touch with their members. But they have very robust socialist parties running. Mélenchon has a huge number of seats in the parliament, and he is a socialist of a unified movement of climate activists, racial justice activists, gender activists, sexual rights activists, 
and labor unions together with indigenous people and BLM movements. A huge force, which of course we could have too if we had a reasonable socialist party, unifying us with class transformation. But at the present, our country is out of control. Our empire is falling, and instead of admitting it, we're denying it, either by pretending it doesn't exist like Biden and the Democrats do, or virulently asserting that we are the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, even as we tumble the way the MAGA people and Trump does. And we're projecting our own loss and failure by making someone else a villain by making Putin inherently villainous, and we are the perfect, pure ones. I do not hold a brief for Putin. He's a virulent misogynist. He's also a racist. He's also a, hom a homophobe. But no country is all evil and another one is all good. And the idea that we're the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, no, we're not. That's their attempt to excise any criticisms, the right wing, from the history books. There was no slavery. Some of them want to call that black migration. Well, it's a little different from forced migration, but whatever. It's a denial. We have problems. If we face them, we'll do better, just as every client whoever, who I have ever seen. You don't change unless you face what's happening. And we have to face that the American empire is falling rather than take our lost rage out on each other. In the United States now, there are at least two mass shootings a week rather than just one mass shooting a week. There are many a day rather than just one a day and here again, it's capitalist profit. The NRA and the gun makers are selling guns to make a profit. They don't care that in Texas a four-year-old just shot his sister, who's three. They're making money. We need an anti-capitalist, pro-socialist change in the United States to solve these problems and to adjust the fact to the fact that, okay, we're not the empire we were, but we're a fine nation that can work together for better lives. Thank you. This is the end of this podcast. And I would like once again to urge you to get on our email list at www.democracyatwork.info. Be there so you can get news on our various new podcasts. You can get messages. You can get merchandise. You can find out about new things of all sorts. And also you can help build this movement. I also appreciate your sharing this with me and also with anyone else who you think would be interested. Thank you so much. And also I want to especially thank those people who give us the financial capacity to exist. Thank you all. Goodbye. Till next time.